Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello there. You've got you've got a low energy version of us. We're sorry. <laughs> it's the end of the day, but it's the end of the week. It's the and start like, of the day. If you're listening, some people might be listening at the start of the day, though. Oh, I mean, we're recording. That's why we're low yeah. energy right now. <laughs> end of the day, end of the week, and the end of the weeks right now in lockdown feel like any other day of the week because, yeah, like what's happening tomorrow. <laughs> no, it's actually, I'm actually very excited to sleep all weekend. Oh, that's true. Clean my very dirty house. And right now I feel like if I was a teacher, and I feel bad saying this in front of you, Steph, because, mm. you know, you don't really sleep much and I don't have a child. So, <laughs> sorry. <It's laughs> Relatively to my life, mm. I feel like a tea towel that was all wet dripping on the line so just come out of the washing machine mm. soaked it no rinse or rinse really low and then I've just been completely drained out with with like you know when you I, everyone you yeah. can't see when I'm doing Steph can see me twisting. over zoom twisting the tea towel like draining mm. every drip that's what that's what I'm that's, what that's the vibe like. of me right now but that's okay sometimes so recharge this weekend. That vibe. recharge this week exactly yeah. that is what that is what I'll do actually you know what else I have to do mm. Oh, my June is drying on the the clothes horse, oh the clothesline. You're you're. Oh, I saw this last night, and didn't it go all the way? So it went for, through for to the mattress. Bit of a backstory. Ben went yeah. to the toilet on the bed, and it went all the way through to the mattress. So how's the mattress looking? So well, again, this is a Ben Ben segment. This is the new <laughs> segment of the kickboard. What did Ben do this week? So I went to my bedroom to get something yesterday afternoon. Mm. And then I was like, I'm just going to sit on the bed. for. Like, I've been feeling really tired since yesterday. I was like, I'm just going to sit on the bed for five minutes. Sat down and I was oh, like, something smells. Oh, no. And then I was like, we have a white Duna cover. And he'd weed. He must have weed like, I reckon, four hours before this because it wasn't fresh or wet. Mm. Um, I mean, it was wet, but it wasn't fresh. Mm. And I was like, something smells like weed. And then I looked beside me and I was like, oh. We he went through the doona, through the sheet, through the mattress protector, which I've now found out that there's such thing as a waterproof waterproof mattress protector. There is, yeah. We don't have it, mm. um, but there's a lot of people in my DM saying, "Why didn't you have one?" And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm asking myself the same question, and yep, through to the mattress. Um, so last night we had this really fun Zoom called a kick party with mm-hmm. with our with the community members that wanted mm. to come and join. We streamed a zoo, a kick workout on Zoom, mm-hmm. which you can do with your friends. It's mm. a great way to connect. But anyway, mm. we did that. And then after that, we had a cooking night with the team mm. and I hadn't got my groceries and I had like 20 minutes before the live started and I had wee on the bed and I was like, I was a hot mess, ran to the supermarket, <laughs> got the vinegar and then I, you're meant to dilute half vinegar, half water. Didn't, I, I was, I was so um, erratic mm. that I just like poured vinegar and then poured so much bicarb soda. Oh, no. But I poured way too much on the mattress. I poured way too much vinegar and then the bicarb that when I came up, when we came upstairs and we we're like, we'll vacuum it. It was like a thick paste, so like it got caught. It was just, it was just a disaster. Anyway, we, like it was on Dalton's side. We were so tired. We're like, that's it. We're just gonna go to sleep. We tried to dry it, didn't even work. And then Dalton was like, Laura, I'm lying on wet vinegar, and I was like. <laughs> 
I was like, well, hon, I'm the one who fixed it, so you should be so grateful anyway. So we then flipped the mattress. No, not like as in to the other way. Mm -hmm. And this morning I was meant, we were meant to, well, both of us, both our responsibility, put the mattress, take the shade off the mattress and put it next to the window to dry. And we haven't done it. So what happens when vinegar ferments? I don't know. Oh, no. I can't even imagine what that's going to start to sound like. Unhygienic house right now. That's where I'm at. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> so so when is the, um you know, seeing as, I know you're both extremely busy people, but seeing as you're working from home, when is the uh, toilet training going to commence? You know what? We've been going so well. We had, I reckon, we hadn't had a wee inside or anywhere for, and also Ben's been sleeping with us. He mm-hmm. doesn't wee in the night if he sleeps mm-hmm. upstairs. However, mm-hmm. if he sleeps downstairs, he wees four times and poos once. Where's that logic? Not <laughs> sure. Uh, but we had about four days in a row with no wing mistakes. And then yesterday we had three and then overnight three plus a, plus a brown oh, no. gift. So anyway, that's where we're at. Uh, but I've just spoken about Ben <laughs> for way too long. You know what you can do? Because I know that you you don't want to be the one to like train them as in like tell them off and all that oh no stuff. I do now I do want to be the oh, one you do? to tell him off well, I'm fine I didn't know that this existed but Danny Kennedy sent his dog to oh. a trainer <laughs> and like apparently it's come back like incredibly well trained <laughs> because Dan Kennedy is our head trainer anyone our master trainer on the app if anyone yeah. doesn't know him and his dog ate his he ate through the wall yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but hey, Ben's eaten your staircase, so we're not far off. Oh, and then this morning, Dawson came downstairs. Thank goodness he saved it. Ben had a sock, and I left my socks on the couch. I cannot <laughs> believe I did that because I have. We've been so diligent, obviously, because I'm so scared of him eating it. Mm. Obviously, not last night because I was mm. too concerned about my vinegar mattress. <laughs> and um, lucky he came downstairs. The sock was just poking out. It was like a thick ankle bond sock. Not a thin one, a thick one. And Dalton pulled it out and Ben, because he doesn't really chew it in half, he just keeps it whole. Thank mm. God, he Dalton just pulled it out all the way out. Oh, so thank goodness he caught him. But yes, anyway. Anyway, we digress. What is your special share for the week? Oh my gosh, okay. Um, tra- a tra- transformation. That is not the word I was going to say. What is that a show? <laughs> no, I, was, I was thinking like... What's the word when you go from, like, one conversation to a totally different transition? one? Transition? Yeah, I think I was going for transition. <laughs> so, transformation. You know what? It is a transformation because we're going from speaking about <laughs> toilet training to your special share, which I'm sure is going to be awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, pressure's on. Is it? Uh, is it? But is no, it? so <laughs> it's actually, look, it's not a new thing. A lot of you would have seen it already, but, and I had seen it, but we rewatched. Wait, it's not Game of Thrones, is it? No. No. <laughs> or the Simpsons. We no. We rewatched The Greatest Showman last night and I forgot how incredible that movie is and how special the storyline is and like just the the soundtrack to that movie is freaking phenomenal and it's just such a great message. Anyway, so if you haven't seen it, you really need to see it. And then if you if it's been a while, go watch it again. It is such a good feel good movie. Where do we watch it? Wait, you've seen The Greatest Showman. I haven't. I haven't (gasps) seen it, so I'm going to watch it. Okay, can I just say, so Josh doesn't like musicals, like hates them. Me neither. Like really, really hates them. I get get it. You get it, thanks. But (laughs) you, like he loves this movie. He's seen it twice now. I would love to watch it. Yeah, and so 
for people who don't like musicals, don't get put off because obviously, like, as soon as it starts, like, Hugh Jackman's singing and you'll probably be like, whoa, okay, this is a musical, I don't know about this. But it's really amazing and the soundtrack's actually really beautiful. But it's yeah, it's just such a good, feel-good movie um, and Josh is really hard to please with movies, so if he likes it, I feel like a lot he of does. people will like it. It must be very good. So you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. And okay. it's the best. It's so good. So Thank yeah. you for the recommendation. Yeah. No Funny, my recommendation is is actually, and this is this is absolutely not sponsored by Disney Plus. I mean, definitely Steph would wish that it was because <laughs> you are a Disney <laughs> Please queen. Please sponsor us. Um, but I actually just got Disney. I think maybe I already had it, but I maybe only subscribed for a month or something. I mm. can't remember, but I re-subscribed. I, I feel like with the these TV show subscriptions get you because you want to watch one new thing and then mm. you sign up. Well, so Disney, I've, I get the yearly. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I, know I see. Okay, smart, committed. smart. Okay, <laughs> I'm not committed yet, mm. but um, I am, well, I'm quite committed because I just really enjoyed watching some Disney movies. Mm. So I watched Princess Diaries 1 and oh, half yeah. of Princess Diaries 2. Because Dalton told me to turn it off because he was didn't like it. He wasn't interested. Like, yeah. yeah, no. I, there is something really wholesome about the, like, putting on those movies that you watched back in yeah. the day. Those it was Disney lovely. Mm. Nice. So, yeah, that's my... my so our, our, our collective <laughs> special share is really down like Disney Plus. this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's what we need in lockdown. We need some, some low... Easy to watch. Mm. Oh, I also watched Nine Perfect Strangers. <gasps> Did you? Yeah, loved it. Thank you for your recommendation. It's great, isn't it? Well, actually, there's, there's a, I don't know if I'm up to date, actually. I think I've the watched... new episodes come out on Sunday because as I was watching it, it went from four to five. <gasps> I haven't <Yeah>. seen five. <gasps> well, soon you'll have two more to watch. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing. Well, yeah, loved it. Thank you for that recommendation. See, look how far we've come. I used to (laughs) ignore my recommendations. (laughs) Now I use them as my weekly watches. So. Oh, my God. Now we have a little bit of an update from Kik. So we have just launched. It's sleep temper, as we spoke about with the meditation Mm. uh, drop, the special Mm. bonus meditation episode that dropped last Friday, if you've missed it. If you want to learn more about meditation and how to do it, how to get into it, some tips, that's Mm. all in the bonus episode from last week. But there Mm. are new bonus, not new bonus, I have lost it. There are new New meditations in in the app, mainly sleep focus, which I think for anyone struggling to sleep in lockdown, they are great. Mm. Like me, I am struggling to sleep in lockdown. Yeah, not tonight. Awesome. I will fall asleep after this recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we love seeing which ones you guys are into. It's been really cool to see community members posting about which ones they're particularly loving. That's always really helpful as well for feedback. But I hope you guys enjoy our new meditations. Now, Lawsy, time for the DNM of the week. Yes. Would you like to? Re- Do you want me to read it? I feel like you read them. Okay. You're the DNM. Is that a thing? Is it? It's a thing. I read the clumsy stories, right, but you do. we don't have one this week because okay. this episode is quite long. This is the denim for the week. <clears throat> Just for context, we have lived together for a few years, been together for five, and I'm four months pregnant. So in the past few months, I have really noticed myself mothering my boyfriend, although I think I always have to some degree. He won't do anything around the house without being asked to and will often make a big deal out of it when I ask. I also have to be the one who looks after finances, make sure he pays his bills on time, attend appointments, etc. I hate it because I feel like I'm always on his back about something 
and he has voiced that he gets annoyed with it too. If I didn't do things, nothing would get done. I hate feeling like I'm nagging him and he hates feeling like I'm like he's being mothered, but I just don't know how to stop. It's having an impact on our relationship because we are more like a child and mother than a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. My goodness great, me. Great question. I have to say when I read this, the first thing I thought was that you are not it's not your fault that you're nagging because obviously it's not fair for you to do all of the housework and also I feel like it's even the and this is sometimes something that I think happens in a lot of relationships even if you both help it's also the emotional load of Mm. knowing what needs to be done and I feel Mm. like so often that falls on if you're in a heterosexual relationship it falls on the female Mm. um and yes you then might delegate things which that would make you feel like a mother but you have to think about that Mm. in the first place and i feel like that's a burden that that a lot of women carry Mm. um and that's not fair to carry that 100 percent. i think Mm. when i read this for me and, and also you know the one who looks after finances make sure he pays bills on time attends appointments you do not need and I mean it's really up to you it's everyone's Mm. choice Mm. in a relationship Mm -hmm. but I don't I would I would it's not your job to make Mm. sure that your partner you know attends Mm. his own appointments like is Mm. he making sure you attend yours it's Mm. it should be a team and and Mm -hmm. I feel like with this this isn't a team this is Mm. you caring for him and him being frustrated that that you're caring for him Mm. I I Mm -hmm. don't know I feel like that yeah this it that really sucks and I, I just don't be too hard on yourself that that's kind of the thing that first came to my mind what, mm. what came to your mind Sophie, when you read this well two things number one I have actually just helped out not helped out a friend Jesus who, who do I think I am like a psychologist but no what I mean by that is I have literally had this exact conversation with a girlfriend in the last week um who is in pretty much word for word the same situation um uh, may even be the person who emailed although I'd be very surprised if they did um and it's it's a really hard one but what I said to her I will obviously share the same advice because that's what we're here for um and it's basically just having open communication Mm. about how and why it is bothering you and I think where I come from in this kind of situation so Josh and I have a really really balanced approach when it comes to tasks around the house and getting things done in general um you know uh and sometimes there's a bit of a blurry line like sometimes he will do some of the things that I usually do and whatever. Um, And the funny thing is, out of the both of us, he is the clean freak, not me. So it's really funny. I always often see these memes and stuff like that of like, oh my God, my boyfriend leaving cupboard doors open or all this sort of stuff. And I laugh because it's like the opposite in our relationship. Like Josh is the one that picks up after me. But what I wanted to say is I had a pretty interesting perspective on this when I was talking to my mate about it because I'm I'm the one on the other end that's had to kind of be spoken to about it. You know, like there's been times where it's really affected Josh and we've had to have like a full chat about it. And I said to this person, some people are wired differently. It's got a lot to do with how we grew up and, you mm. know, habit and, you know, we're just all different. We're all wired differently. I am one of those people that I can see something on the stairs that I know I need to take upstairs and I can walk past it a few times and it doesn't bother me. Josh, it's like, oh my God, take it upstairs. Like it would have taken you a whole of 60 seconds to finish that job. <laughs> but I don't know why, it just doesn't bother me. But what does bother me is how it bothers him. So 
we have to have conversations about it and he kind of has to sometimes remind me of how it actually affects him mentally. And I respect that and then I I do my best for as long as I can until, I don't know, I get through a busy period and, you know, sometimes I fall off the wagon a little bit. But he's the same as well. He doesn't do everything. There's a lot of stuff that I feel like I'm nagging him for. But what I'm trying to get at is when you have a conversation about how it actually emotionally affects you, Mm -hmm. you're no longer nagging the person, but you're actually just saying like, I, I just kind of really need you to do this. Like this is, it's not for me, it's for us. Um, and this is how it's affecting me. Because I think once I learned over, over over the years that it wasn't just him, like, I don't know, being fussy or whatever. And I actually realized that how much it actually really did affect him. It it did, I, I didn't want it to affect him. I didn't want to do that to him. So I I was a lot more conscious and I, I have been a lot more conscious um, in, in the way I am as well around the house. So I think number one, I really hope that you can one day have a balance with your partner mm. as to who's in charge with what. Um, you know, there's, there's things that I prefer that, you know, like, for example, Josh loves gardening. You will never see me in the garden, <laughs> but that's okay. Like, it's fine to be that way. And that's like one job, for example, that he is happy to own because he actually enjoys it. And there's things like supermarket shopping. I'm so happy to do that. And I'm happy for that to be my job. And it's very rare that I would ever ask him to do it number one, I know he doesn't like it. Number two, I don't mind it. So that's just something that we've worked out. So I think open communication, really speak about how it deeply affects you. Mm. Um, And if they don't respect that, then that's a bigger issue in itself. Like it's not, I think if your partner doesn't respect how something like that could, like having balance around in the house and tasks you need to get through, if they can't respect how much that would affect you and like refuse to change, that's a that's a pretty big issue, um, I would say. So that mm. kind of turns into something else. Um, but yeah, if they really care about you and um, I suppose the emotional state of your relationship, then there's something's got to give. I agree, a hundred percent. And so, what is sometimes hard is that if your partner's grown up in a family where his mum does everything, yep. Yep. Um, and his dad doesn't do anything, then he needs. Which is, it's not. It sucks because it's not your job to teach him. Yep. But what I would recommend is after you have this conversation, I think what you said, Steph, about he needs to understand because it's not like it's affecting you emotionally. It's not, mm. and it's also not fair for you to bear everything. No. It's just that no. sucks. Mm. Write a list together of the jobs around the house that have mm. to get done. Put it on the fridge so the emotion, mm. emotional burden is done and delegate it each week. Mm. Because then if you if he's not doing anything and you're like, you've literally done everything now. Mm. Like and you've chatted about it. Mm. Um and I think that that's what I would do. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's it's such a hard it is a hard situation because it really I think your upbringing does make a big difference oh, as well. Biggest. The biggest. Yeah. Yeah. So in saying that, so we have got Jamila Rizvi on the podcast. When we start the podcast, Steph actually asked her to introduce herself because she does wear a lot of hats. She's done some incredible things in her career. And so we really wanted to hear from her how she describes herself. Mm. Um, she's just edited a book that mm. we speak about today. It is amazing. And she's we, also the author, um, sorry, the editor yes. of that book that I keep rambling on about the motherhood. It's like my favorite book I read when I was pregnant for new mums. She's the editor of that as well. So she's a fantastic editor. And I, I just, yeah, love everything she does. Yeah, she's amazing. She's also an author of her <laughs> own book as mm-hmm. well. She's done so much. You, you might have seen her on the project. She's done a lot of things. Um, and she is extremely inspiring and also mm. spends a lot of her time really speaking about and having conversations and starting the conversation in regards to gender equality. So we hope you enjoyed this one. 
Jamila, welcome to the Kick Pod. We're so excited to have you. We've, yeah, this whole week I've been so excited about this interview. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm thrilled not to be homeschooling. Uh, it's going to be a great time. <laughs> oh my God, I can only imagine. We've got um, our neighbours across the road. Uh, they have three little ones, all homeschooling age. And yeah, they're, <laughs> they're well and truly over it. Um, now, you've achieved so much in your life. It's incredible. And you've had such an impact on so many. When introducing you, there is so many words to describe the work that you do. But we really wanted to hear from you. Who are you? Who would you say you are and what is your purpose? Oh, wow. Okay, that's a big question to start. (laughs) Um, I suppose from a work perspective, I am a writer, I'm a speaker, and I usually call myself a gender equality advocate, which means I don't shut up around gender equity in all its forms. And then more importantly, day to day, I suppose, I'm Jeremy's wife and I'm Ruffy's mum and I'm Mim's sister and... um, I think I'm someone who's always defined myself by the people that I'm around. And at the moment, that is not very many people. (laughs) And I mean, you're also an amazing author. It's funny when you describe yourself, you you don't use that word. I know. (laughs) It feels, author feels grand. To me, it's like an author. And whereas like, (laughs) I I like writer because it sounds less fancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of the main reasons we're here today is is to chat about your new book and the biggest congratulations. I have consumed it in two days and, and I was saying off mic before we started, I'm usually a holiday binge reader only. Mm. And this was consumed during the work week, which for me, I have to, it has to it's be impressive. a good book to get through. Mm. <laughs> so congratulations. Um, it's called Work, Love and Body. And we're so excited to chat to you about it. And what I loved the most, and I mean, for anyone listening and wants to know what it's about, I think that there's a question on on the back and I think it really sums it up so well. Will the Australia of tomorrow be more equal than the one we were born into? Or will women and girls get left behind? And for me personally, it brought on so much emotion, especially the the chapter about work. Um, I think it was it was so eye opening. I cannot recommend it enough. And I just wanted to read a little, a few sentences from the work chapter of the book, and then to get into it, we would love to know what the answer, your answer is to that question. I suppose generally before we go into kind of each segment. So the one of the sentences that really stuck with me was that it also shows how women's lives are still held hostage to the old myths about gender, race, age and sexuality that have propped up white men's power for centuries. Those myths say that women are weak, emotional, best suited to subservient, nurturing roles, while men are strong, logical and best suited to leadership. Yeah, so those are the beautiful words of Jane Gilmore. So this is a book that I haven't written on my own. I think it's important to say that it's um, written as part of Future Women, which is the organisation that I work for and I've got to contribute to it. And I've also got to work with uh, three amazing authors who wrote the substantive chapter and edit their work and they're such extraordinary writers that uh, editing them was just a a Mm -hmm. joy and and so interesting to do because they're very different writers so Jane Gilmore wrote the work chapter and she took very much an economic lens looking at women's participation in work their security later in life but what she does so beautifully is she works with data and statistics in a way that isn't dull, <laughs> that mm. holds on to you, that reminds you just how tough it is for women mm. and particularly some groups of women in Australia. To go to your question about whether or not 
women and girls will be left behind, whether or not the Australia of tomorrow will be more equal than the Australia of today. I mean, the, the truth is I don't know. But what I do know is that cataclysmic events like world wars, like depressions, like pandemics, usually lead to a period of reform in their mm. aftermath. Mm. And if that period of reform is seized to make the world look fairer and more equitable and more inclusive in the aftermath, then we get to progress forwards. But if we don't seize that opportunity for change, because there's such a desire for change amongst the community right now, there's this sense of, I don't want this to happen again. I want things to be done differently. And if we don't seize that, we give up that opportunity mm. for a long period of time. So while we've had this awful thing happen to us, there is going to be reform as we come out of it. And it's about how we spend that money that's going to stimulate the economy. It's about where we invest it. And all of those big economic decisions that we see in a budget that feels a million miles away mm. from our actual lives mm. will end up impacting women all over this country at a very individual level. Mm. It's a really great way to think about it, I think. Um, it's a nice thought I think for the future to I suppose utilize what's what's gone wrong and um, what's been really hard and try and flip that and, and improve on the future. So as I said before this one hit, hit home really hard um, for Steph and I and I think we have come so far with gender equality in the workplace when you know we think back 50 years but we obviously have so far to go. And in the book, many key statistics are shared, but one of the most powerful ones that really exemplified to me how far we have to go, and I actually didn't realise we were so backwards in Australia, was the gender pay gap annual measure. And that, you know, that we started 15th in the world in 2006, and now we're 44th, um, and we've dropped by 29 spots. Um, so first of all, that is just, you know, anyone listening that thinks that, we are at equality. We are not there. We mm. are so far from there. Um, and you started your career in politics, which is obviously an extremely male-dominated area, before we're moving into women's media. Can you speak to your lived experience in politics? Yeah, sure. Well, I started working in politics uh, when I was still a teenager. I was a receptionist on the desk of Tony Burke, who was then the shadow minister for immigration. And I just answered the phone to a lot of angry people, really, um, and was quite famous for uh, reversing Tony's car into a pole in the parliamentary <laughs> car park. So that was sort of my initial contribution. Um, I later got a job working full-time. It was my first full-time job working for Kevin Rudd when he was prime minister. And then I spent many years working for Kate Ellis while she was a minister in the Rudd and then the Gillard governments. And during that time, I think I learned a lot of what still drives my thinking today. And while I didn't do a lot of doing in those early couple of years, I did a lot of listening and a lot of watching. I wasn't one of the decision makers in those big important rooms, but I was still in them. And even if I was just in them to take notes or to do someone's hair and makeup before they did a press conference, I got to see how those decisions got made. So it was hugely eye-opening and I will always be really grateful for the experience that I had, particularly with Kate Ellis, who was such an incredible mentor and is still an incredible mentor, if I'm, if I'm honest. But once I worked in women's media, I saw a difference. I had something to compare it to because I'd really only worked in parliament as a 
full-time employee, I'd never had anything to compare it to. So I sort of thought that was just what grown-up workplaces were like. And it wasn't until I started working in a different kind of workplace that I could start to make comparisons. And I saw how the women would stay late in the offices getting the work done and that there was this sense that you shouldn't go home because you had to be seen. Often late into the night, you know, we often didn't leave Parliament until 10 or 11 o'clock in the evening. And yet the blokes were also still there, but they'd be up on the terrace having drinks. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a good party time, but they were networking because it meant that even if you were a junior 25-year-old bloke who was a, I don't know, junior policy advisor to a backbencher, you could go talk to the chief of staff, to the prime minister, also a man, uh, and you could have a chat mm. and you were building relationships. And I think I always thought that by sitting neatly in my office and typing away and being very diligent, I was doing the best thing I could possibly do for my career. Mm. But the reality is I probably should have been up there having drinks and chatting with the boys. But if I'd been doing that, I wouldn't have been one of the boys, would I? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, even that kind of networking with people like that and everything, a lot of that comes down to confidence as well. And I think, I suppose there's a huge lack of confidence in women, um, especially compared to men in the workplace, which obviously would have a huge contribution to women's ability to actually climb climb in their career and even personally develop. Um, Can you speak to that? Yeah, of course. I think... um I think confidence is a tricky one, right? Because when we talk about women lacking confidence in workplaces, we're not finger pointing. Mm. It's not like we're saying, hey, all of you, you got to dial up your confidence and things would be a bit better around here. We have to recognise where that lack of confidence comes from. It's not like women are innately less confident than men. It's not like we're born that way. We're we're raised in a system that makes us feel that way, Mm -hmm. that tells us that we have to behave differently. And if we do behave in that more confident, brash, let's face it, a little bit arrogant kind of way men do. They don't know how to react. (laughs) Yeah, we're punished. We're punished for it, right? That's not cool. There's behavior that a man would display that we'd say, wow, he is bold. He is visionary. He is a leader. We'd see the same behavior in a woman and we go, oh, she's kind of aggressive, isn't she? Mm. Right? So women can't actually win. If you behave in that typical leadership kind of stereotype that men do then you're punished for it Mm. and if you behave the way you've been conditioned to behave you're punished for it Mm. the only way we're going to push through that confidence barrier women have is for the society that exists around women to start shifting and the culture that exists around women to start shifting so that we recognize that leadership can take many forms that leadership can come from extroverts and introverts that there are different ways of leading and perhaps there's a better way of leading than what a whole bunch of blokes have been doing for the last however many hundred years. Mm. And I, yeah, it is. I mean, it is so hard though as a as a woman. In, and with Steph and I, we, we've with running Keep It Cleaner, we've been in lots of situations and, and scenarios where we've been the only women in in the room. And something that you speak to a lot is how we act. And it's funny because. Mm we do it and then I, and I'm so aware of it like for example putting a question at the end of every time you speak because you're like is it okay that I'm saying this and then saying just all the time and and a poly- the biggest one for me that I need to just and I know it and I'm so aware yeah. of it and I talk <laughs> about it and I still do it is 
I'm so sorry to interrupt. Like, do you mind if I ask a question? Like, I have every right to ask a question. Why can't I? Everyone else can. But I have to apologise for the space that I'm taking up in the meeting. And is there anything that you say to, you know, any maybe young males or any males listening, how they can help in the situation? Well, first things first, I'd say I think that's a great question because we put the onus on women, right? We say, okay, we've got this hugely unequal world and now the less equal party, you have to fix it. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, the party with the power has to fix it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because they're the ones who have the power to do it. We can't Mm. expect corporations, for example, to change when the vast majority of corporations in Australia are run by men. Mm. Right now in the top 200 ASX companies in Australia, there are more men called Andrew who are CEOs than there are women, Mm. right? So that's where the power lies. So you've got to expect men to step up and be better. And even in situations where, yeah, you've got two women like you who are running your own show, you're in charge, absolutely. But the people you've got to interact with, the external stakeholders, boards, all the rest, you're going to run into a whole bunch of blokes Mm. who underestimate young women in particular. So to blokes, what I'd say is gender equality is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's going to happen slowly or it's going to happen fast. Either way, it's going to happen in your lifetime. It is. We are going to keep pushing. Women are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I would get on board. Mm-hmm. I would be someone who says, actually, if we have better gender, inequ- better gender equity in workplaces, for example, my women colleagues will feel safer, stronger, more accomplished and be better paid at work. And that will cost me nothing. I will have access to the benefits of equality because the benefits of equality are about men too. I've got a dad who retired a couple of years ago and he said that he spent more time with my son in that year than he ever spent with my sister and I. And that is because of inequality, gendered expectations that said he should go to work rather than spend time with his kids. He's never going to get that back. So it will help you. And finally, it will help your organisation. Organisations, particularly corporates that have gender equal boards, gender equal leadership, they do better. They make more money, they are more profitable, they are more efficient and they are more effective. Why wouldn't you want to take a step that is good for women, good for you and good for your organisation? I wonder, do you know how many gender equal boards there actually are? (laughs) Oh, no, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's a handful. I think we just reached the milestone last year, I'm going to say, that the top 200 boards, there is now no board that has no women. So there's at least Mm -hmm. one woman on every board. But, like, are we going to celebrate that? Like, no. Out of 13 people, we're going to get at least one? Like, Mm. I I mean, it's a step, sure, and I'll take the step, but we've got to get radical about this stuff we've got to be revolutionary about it we've got to say it's not good enough I'm on a on the board of a not-for-profit organization where some time ago we had a conversation about quotas and making the decision that we would have not just a gender equal board but a board that represented a diversity of races a diversity of ages a diversity of sexual preference and had people with disabilities who were included on that board when we first discussed it there was a lot of oh, but it will really limit the number of people we could think about for the next role and blah, 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 blah. Within three years, we got there. And we've made sure that that board, which I think has about nine people on it, has two people with disabilities, has more women than men, has a range of ages, has two Indigenous people on that board, has a number of people of colour on that board. You can do it if you want to. You've Mm. just got to set your mind to it. Kind of chatting to what, what you spoke about before in regards to the pandemic kind of being a moment where we move forward. 
How do you see the future for women in the workplace after the pandemic? And I mean, especially with the shift to working from home, which is something that I think many women have been able to have more mm. balance in their life mm. and, you know, get more things done. Mm. And it's, but, you know, a year ago if they or two years ago, if they asked that, it would have been like, absolutely not. That's not how yeah. it works. You have mm. to be at work to be productive, which is not the case at all. How do you see the, the future? Do you think it's it has brought us further in advancing or kind of, not I think you've hit the nail on the head Laura it's done a bit of both Mm. um so that working from home question yeah I I am excited that Mm. we have normalized flexible work we have Mm. normalized working from home it kind of annoys me that women particularly mothers have been asking to work flexibly and from home for decades Mm. and now that blokes want to do it Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that we we can do overnight. The fact that we could do it so easily, yeah. that so many organisations had said for so long, working from home doesn't work from our, for us and we could literally change this whole country overnight when there was a health implication. Mm. To me, that just shows how stubborn we are against what women need and what women want. Yeah. So, yes, I'm really excited by that. At the same time, I know that women were the first people out of work in this mm. pandemic yeah. and a lot of those women weren't women who lost their jobs it, it, certainly they were a category mm. but there were also a whole bunch of women who just exited the workforce entirely mm. right now our unemployment rate is really low really low for a country that is basically in recession maybe not technically yet but we're basically in recession right the reason our unemployment rate is so low is because there are a whole lot of women who aren't looking for work right now, which means they're not counted amongst the unemployed. They've Mm. just stopped working altogether because they've got huge homeschooling Mm. and domestic responsibilities. That's not a good thing for our country. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not something to crow about. And the government knows that. The government knows we've got to get women back to work. But I don't think women are going to be able to do that until we get more equal on the home front. Because right now, yeah, men are reporting that they're doing a little bit more work in the home. They're doing a bit more domestic cleaning, a bit more childcare, um, sometimes up to two, three, four hours on average more a week. But women are doing four times that in mm. terms of the extra work they're doing. So women were already doing more and now they're doing even more, even more. Mm. So it's easy to look at those numbers and kind of not get the full picture right if you just took the average man and said wow he's doing extra two hours of housework and an extra three hours of childcare," you think oh yeah that's progress it's not mm. it's not progress mm-hmm. he's picking up what was done by schools and what was done by childcare centers most of which are staffed by underpaid women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh it's like when you see those memes about like a dad in a a baby carrier like I don't know getting the wife a coffee and it's like they're celebrated that they're oh, just he's like a super hero. dad <laughs> he's a yeah. hero the number of times people have said to me particularly when my son was like younger you are so lucky to have Jeremy he's amazing <laughs> and like I married my partner like yeah obviously I do think he's you know, amazing yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he's amazing for raising our child I am also raising our child which is equally impressive yeah exactly touching on family we could jump into love now and would love to ask um I think the pandemic has thrown a spanner in the works obviously in that department as well I mean for me personally it's it's done positive and negative things to the relationships in my life. I think positively it's made me really appreciate those who actually 
fill me with joy and make me feel good. And it's made me want to make sure that I have time aside for those people always. And I think that's been awesome because it might mean that I've lost some friends along the way, but, you know, quality over quantity at all times. Um, and then negatively, obviously, it's it's really hard. It's challenging on your relationship um, to be stuck with one person no matter how much you love them, no matter, you know, how secure you are in your relationship. It can be really hard to be stuck together for that amount of time and even you know me and my partner we both work from home so neither of us have had anything to kind of take us away from the house we've got a lot of friends who you know at least one of them in the relationship kind of they might work in a trade so they have an excuse to leave the house and it's a bit different but it's been really hard and I suppose I wanted to ask how has the pandemic affected your relationships with your husband your son your friends Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um well uh my husband and I our anniversaries in December and December last year we gave each other anniversary cards that said almost the same thing which was basically like so this year's been rubbish and you've been really annoying and we've spent far too much time together but at the same time if I had to be stuck with someone yeah I'm really glad I'm stuck with you yeah and I still feel the same sense of both love and frustration Mm. like it's hard we're human beings we're social creatures we're not meant to be stuck with the same couple of people Mm -hmm. all the time you know I remember a moment during Melbourne's long lockdown last year when we were only allowed to leave the house to go to the shop Mm -hmm. once a day and it was only allowed to be one person from the house yeah and my um I'd been out for a medical appointment so I was allowed to be out of the house separately and I thought I'll get coffees on the way home and texted my husband and said I'm going to go, go, go to the coffee shop. Do you want anything? And he said, oh, actually, um, I'm on my way to the coffee shop with Ruffy. That's our son. I'll grab the coffees. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm really close. I'll get the coffees. And he was like, we are at the door. I'll get the <laughs> and neither of us wanted coffee. We just wanted to talk to someone. Yeah. We just wanted to talk to the baristas at our coffee shop who are lovely yeah. and who were the only other people we were going to see that day. Yeah. So I think it puts enormous strain on relationships and even my son who's who's six now um he was four when the pandemic began Mm. um it's been really hard on him and you know I would say mostly perhaps even till about April June maybe maybe June this year I would say he was pretty good like Mm. he was in good shape he'd done really well at home he was happy it wasn't too rough but this most recent lockdown has hit him really hard Mm. and um he's sad like Mm. he wants to go back to school and he wants Mm. to see his buddies and he wants to do all those fun things and he doesn't want to learn on a computer anymore Mm -hmm. you know and he's Mm. sick of his parents being his teachers rather than his parents um i think there is an enormous strain that's been on families and we're just an average family for whom honestly it's been pretty good right Mm. like Mm. i think of people uh, who are in the who are in the book, who are in Work, Love, Body, who watched their parents die on Zoom from mm. the other side of the world mm. and, you know, who have been single mums who've had three or four children who they're trying to raise while at the same time trying to hold on to a job. Mm. Um, people who are single, who just mm. want a date, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just who are waiting to meet someone, mm. women who really want to have children, but IVF's been shut down because mm. it's considered non-essential right it, it the pandemic's going to have wounds i think in our relationships Absolutely. that are going to stick around for a long time 
I think with those wounds especially and, and reading through the book, so many people, I mean, I, I can't even imagine having to, you know, lose a loved one and then not be with them and watch it over Zoom and especially lose them to COVID in like, you know, the, the last last week or whatever of their life, no one was with them. They were, you yeah. know, in an ICU and I think it's been the pandemic and, and how people have reacted to lockdowns and, and the vaccine and everything has been super divisive as like a cultural moment in you know do you think it's really led to people in their relationships creating more boundaries Hmm, that's interesting I think I think that might be true um I think it certainly clarifies things Mm. right because seeing people or interacting with people right now is such an enormous effort Mm -hmm. (laughs) like to actually firstly we're all drained by being Mm. stuck at home Second, people are restricted in terms of who we can see and when we can see them. Mm -hmm. Third, we don't get that incidental contact with other humans. And so if you want to talk to someone, if you want to engage with someone more than a text message, but an actual conversation, there's this huge effort barrier. Mm -hmm. And when you put that effort barrier in place, people start to fall away because you're not putting in effort for that kind of acquaintance, maybe friend that you're not that into, right? Mm -hmm. It really starts to clarify the people who are your people and the ones you want to hold on to and the ones you're going to put work into. And I think for people with large circles of friends and acquaintances who are used to running into people at a whole lot of parties and the rest, there's almost that sense of, oh, okay, I see now. I see the ones who who matter, the ones who I'll walk out of the door to walk the dog and I go, I'm calling them because I miss them and I want to talk to them for an hour. Um, so it's almost narrowed our friendship groups to that extent, I think, but not necessarily in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I think it strengthens the friendships that, that do exist um, and perhaps makes them... I think going through shared trauma, as awful as it, is, as it is, does bring people together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all just, like, hanging for the day that we can just <laughs> hang out and just kind of, you know, sit with each other and just yeah. not even have to talk about that much because, look, let's be honest, it's probably not going to be much to catch up on. Um. <laughs> That's one of the hardest things, right? Like, I, I, I've become really good mates with my little boys started prep this year or kindergarten mm. in some of the other states. Um, so he's in the first year of school and we're meeting parents for the first time, right? And it's almost like you're dating the, the other parents <laughs> at the primary school and then you're kind of pushing him towards the, the kids whose yeah. parents you like. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, one of there's a woman who I've become really good friends with. Her name's Nicole. She's a single mum to the most divine little boy who's mates with my kid and we often go to the park together and take Mm. the boys and then we can just sort of stand around a metre and a half apart, have a coffee and hang (laughs) out, right? And we get along quite well Mm. but the other day we went to the park and we both sent a text message to each other afterwards that said, I'm so sorry, like, I just didn't have anything to say to you. It's not that I don't like you. I just... And I, I, I sent this message first just saying, I'm so, like, I was useless today. I was not fun to be around. I couldn't think of anything to say to you mm-hmm. because I haven't done anything since mm-hmm. I saw you a week ago. And she wrote back saying, I told you that I've switched from almond milk to oat milk in my coffee. Like, that's where we're at, guys. <laughs> yes. oh, like, there's 100%. no news. There's no yeah. news. <laughs> back to, um, you know, small talk about the weather and stuff. That's yeah. for sure. It'll take some warming up. I remember when we came out of the long lockdown last year, it, there was a few kind of like, awkward initial catch-ups that were only <laughs> awkward because you felt like you needed to fill the silence but you still felt amazing to even just be able to sit in other people's yeah. presence like <laughs> but um I suppose you know leading into uh I suppose another personal thing for you we'll, we'll head into body now um over the last few years you have faced 
your own personal challenges with health, both physical and mental. Only if you feel comfortable. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, one absolutely. In 1.3 million diagnosis. Yeah. So for me, this is uh, an illness that predates the pandemic. And thank goodness, honestly, uh, between 2018 and 2019, I spent so much time in hospitals and I am thrilled that I'm not doing that and having to do that right now uh, when hospitals are so stretched and uh, it's really tough for people, both the people who work there and the people who are sick. Um, so I was diagnosed with a rare kind of brain tumour in uh, the very, la- very late 2017. I had uh, brain surgery in January 2018 and then again in uh, September 2018 because it grew back very quickly. And then after growing back very quickly yet again, I had um, 36 rounds of radiation Um, in early 2019. And since then, I have been really fortunate. Tumour hasn't grown. In in fact, I had a scan uh, this week and showing no change. So I'm in good form at the moment tumour-wise, but it's left me with a whole lot of really complex um, and seemingly unconnected, but connected by their proximity in the brain. My tumour grew in a very densely populated part of the brain, um, which means it affected a whole bunch of different things. And those disabilities have changed my physical body and how it feels and what it can do. It's changed how it looks. Um, It's changed my resilience, my strength, my day-to-day energy, uh, my clarity, my memory. Um, There's almost no part of me that it hasn't touched. And so that's been an incredible physical Mm. transformation for me. And it's it's almost like watching a, a baby or a child learning its body and kind of going oh I have a hand look I can do this and you know like even my little boy at six he still like runs into the doors because he's got these (laughs) giant limbs and he hasn't realized how tall he is yet Mm. um I feel like that again I feel like Mm. I'm learning a new body Mm. and I keep thinking that it's still my old body and then I get a shock because it doesn't do and or it doesn't even it doesn't look like I still walk past mirrors and forget that that's what I look like now Mm. um so it's been a huge period of adjustment but um I think during the pandemic, and we, look, we explore this in the book, that the acute experience of illness and also of mental health for so many people mm. has been almost insurmountable. And I think of all the health workers right now, and we talk to a number of people, including nurses, who just say, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I'm going to get through the end of the pandemic and then I'm done. I want another job because mm. it has just been too much. Oh my God. Absolutely. Uh, how, how has that change and everything that you've gone through changed your relationship with yourself and your body? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a little bit of good. <laughs> um, I think I've slowed down a little bit and I think that was something I needed to do. I'm someone who's always been in a hurry, um, in a hurry to do the next thing to get to the next stage of life, to Mm. be a grown-up, to go to university, to get a job, everything, you know, I wanted to do it quickly. Mm. Um, And I think this has forced me to slow down and perhaps not the nicest way to be forced to slow down, but I think that slight slowing down has been good for me and um, good for my mental health and sort of sense of self. Um, I think my mental health... Look, I've always had reasonably good mental health. I was quite unwell when I first got sick, though. Um, But I think I've become someone who is... I don't want to say I don't sweat the small stuff because that's a real cliche, and some days I massively sweat the small Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, 
but usually I'm sweating the small stuff because there's big stuff behind it. Mm. Um, and I do think I, I'm calmer when problems arise and I'm sort of steadier and stronger. Otherwise, I, I, I don't know if I've learned all that much that's good. I, I think I'm, I am a work in progress. Um, I'm not sort of sitting here triumphant as mm. someone who's been through this horrible physical assault on my body and kind of come out with great learnings to share with the mm-hmm. world. I, I, I think I like to think I'm going to get there. Probably won't. Um, I'm still in a space of being angry at my body and hating my body and being frustrated and not being very kind to myself at all because I still miss who I used to be. I think that's incredibly raw and true. And thank you for being so open about that. No, no problem. I think it's, I think one of the things that I've found a little frustrating because I've tried to read and watch and listen Mm. to everything, like anything about someone being sick when they're relatively young, I have tried to devour. Mm. And people seem to be in in two categories. They seem to be in this category of they've just found out and this raw shock, or they seem to be at the the end point where, where they're at peace and they're zen and they're achieving things and they're a new person and they love their new body and they wouldn't change a thing. I would still take it all back in a heartbeat. Mm. Like if I had the option to take it back, I'd take it back straight away. I don't understand people yet who say they wouldn't take it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's important to tell those stories in the yeah. middle as well as at the beginning and the end. How, how was that slowing down period for you, I suppose, after you'd already slowed down and then we were in lockdown? Yeah, I think weirdly for me, and I suspect this is quite out of step with other people, I sped up during the pandemic compared to what I'd been doing before. I'd been so sick in the years before Mm. that, um, that life was slow, you know, like when you're recovering from brain surgery, standing up is an achievement, Mm. right? Going for a walk is an achievement. And, you know, I remember those early weeks, particularly after my first brain surgery, my dad, um, my mum and dad moved in with us and um, dad would take me for a walk each day and some days I'd get to the letterbox and some days I'd get to the end of the street and, you know, it just, achievements were so small and life became so small during that time that I think I was probably more alone with my thoughts those couple of years, whereas sort of as the pandemic really hit us, I was feeling better and so at a purely personal level, Mm, mm. it was a good year Mm. because I didn't feel like shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I Mm -hmm. could exercise and I could uh, get up every day and not feel like I needed to have a nap um, Mm. to get Mm. me through the day. And so I just threw myself into work. Um, Like a lot of people, a lot of work disappeared for me. Um, Sort of I do a lot of public speaking kind of work and, you know, no one was having conferences and Mm. summits and events anymore. But I am... uh, fortunate in the sense that I've got a career with lots of different bits and pieces so I was able to lean more into the things that um were still there and I I work with future women who I've done the book with and my boss at future women Helen McCabe um has been extraordinary from before I even started working for her when she held a job for me for months while I went and had brain surgery um through to now where she still gets it um uh, and she I think realized I was hungry for work like I just wanted to work so we found more opportunities for me to work and I'm now full-time there uh which is ridiculous because I've got so much going on still uh Mm. separate to that but um 
I, I, I feel like this is no longer the cool thing to say. It's like how being extroverted is no longer cool and everyone's an introvert. I am still an extrovert <laughs> and I love working. Like mm. I love working and I really identify myself as someone who works and I get joy and my work sustains me and mm. I work with this incredible team of women and a couple of token men and... Um, I love working with them and nurturing them and seeing them get better and achieving what we're achieving together. And I'm not someone who gets angry because oh, I had to work on the weekend. I'm someone who would be frustrated if mm. I didn't have something to work on on the weekend. Mm. Mm. I think Laura and I can completely relate to that. I think we were so fortunate as well last year that we could continue work and that we love work. You know, it's yeah. um, if it fulfills you, it's you're very fortunate to have that. I think. Um, I was kind of similar. No, definitely not similar. I mean, I cannot relate to what you went through whatsoever and I'm not going to pretend to. But um, I had a bit of a silver lining last year in lockdown as well, I suppose. Going through pregnancy in lockdown when you're someone who usually travels a lot and has a lot on Mm. and has to say yes to a lot of opportunities, I was like, thank God that I'm going through pregnancy in lockdown because there's no way I would have been able to do what, what I used to be able to do and I could just focus on things like kick that fulfilled me and it was... Yeah, fortunate to say that lockdown last year was a very, it was a different effect to this year, that's for sure. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of Melbournians are well and truly over it by this point. Um, We're done now. We're we're done. done. We've done enough. We've done enough. (laughs) We've tried it out and we are finished. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think the effects would be like on, on, in general, on women's uh, mental health post-pandemic? Well, I don't think they're good. Mm -hmm. Um, And the data in, in Work Love Body tells us that. Um, and these aren't temporary effects. These are going to be long-term heavy effects. Mm. Um, women who particularly experience high levels of anxiety is the mm. one that's coming through. Eating disorders, are, they haven't put a number on it yet, the actual increase, but I know that if you try and see someone for your anorexic teenage daughter as a friend of mine did recently you are going to be waiting five six months to see Mm -hmm. someone Mm -hmm. and when you've got a child who's not eating you don't have five six months to wait right Mm -hmm. um i think there are so many women right now who are pushing it all down and bottling it and not thinking about it trying to outrun it perhaps a bit like laura Um, (laughs) you know just thinking if i keep pushing hard enough then i won't have to stop and think about it i won't Mm -hmm. have to stop and deal with what's happened to me um we've got to find a way to deal with it. We've mm-hmm. got to make space for ourselves. And I think one of the big things has been we've put so much pressure on ourselves during these lockdowns. Mm. You know, there's there's that meme that's going around at the moment around how like that, you know, there's the Venn diagrams of the apocalypse and work and somehow we ended up in the tiny little slither of space where we're doing both. Mm. Like we are staying at home to stay safe and healthy in the face of a deadly pandemic. Mm. We're not staying at home to be our most productive, impressive, loving selves, mm. right? Mm. We're, we're out running something. Mm-hmm. You know, during the war, the women who did stay at home weren't staying at home or hiding in a bomb shelter to get a bunch of Excel spreadsheets done, right? Like, mm. it's just not how the world works. So I think a little bit of cutting slack um, mm. on achievement is important right mm. and and working when it sustains you rather than working because you feel like you have to and I say that from the most privileged position as someone who you know two weeks off work isn't going to affect my financial position horribly mm-hmm. right there are so many people who are working on the front line there are so many people who are going to work every day right now 
and they are watching those numbers climb and knowing that they'll get this virus at some point. And hopefully they are people who are vaccinated, Mm. but at the same time, they are going to know and they're going to love and care about people who are not, including Mm. children. Mm. And, you know, I I watch the anxiety of of my friends who who are nurses, who are doctors, who are childcare workers, the fear of passing this on to other people is just enormous and mm. it's going to it's gonna hurt us. It's going to hurt us into the future and I don't think it's going away. Mm. And I think the mental health of our health workforce in particular is something I feel so anxious about mm. um, and so worried about. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really hopeful that there'll be a bit of a reset when it comes to mental health. I think people are more willing to talk about mental health now than they were 18 months ago. I think that's a really good thing. Mm. And if we can keep that transparency and that acceptance around mental health, that would be a really good thing. At Future Women, we've um, we've given everyone an extra day's leave every month um, as a pandemic day, and they can just take it whenever they want. No questions mm. asked. You just say, I'm taking my pandemic day, and today I'm going to lie in the park and mm. mm-hmm. uh, not do anything else. Or mm. lie in the park for two hours and then go back inside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I, I hope that there are workplaces and also mm. as individuals, we're cutting each other a little bit of slack. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. Um, and thank you so much for your time, Jamila. We appreciate it so much. As as we've said, we highly recommend everyone have a read of this book, especially I think it's a beautiful combination of like me personally, I'm super data driven. So having all the data in there, that was so great to read. But the, it's also filled with so many beautiful stories and sad yeah. stories of people who have had the real life experience. So yeah. it's yeah, it's a fantastic book. Congratulations and thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with with our community. I've enjoyed this and learnt so much and, and I'm sure that they will too. Oh thank you for having me. Well we hope you guys enjoyed that chat. As always if you would like to find out more information about Keep It Cleaner you can head to our website ww.keepitcleaner.com We will be back with another KickPod episode next week. And if you would like to see more of Laura, myself, or of course, Kick, you can follow us on Instagram at keepercleaner, at laura.henshaw, at stephclairsmith. We will chat to you guys next week.